taking a little bit different topic, um, looking at dispensational theology versus covenant theology in the evening, talking about um, Calvinism and the different doctrines and why it is a, a, a danger. Um, however, it didn't seem appropriate to preach a message that so often divides the people of God um, at this time. Um, there will be a time and place for it, I believe, and that it is good to study and to research and to, to make sure you know where you stand and the differences and why people have disagreements. Um, but for the Lord's sake, this morning we will be looking at a topic that will um, bring us together and not um, separate us. So to the relief of probably most of you, uh, we're going to go ahead and open up to Romans chapter 3, and beginning in verse 19. We're going to talk about um, justification by faith. And this idea, the last... Uh, verse of the hymn we just sang, it says, I will tell you how I came, hallelujah, to Jesus when he made me whole. T'was believing on his name, hallelujah, I trusted and he saved my soul. And really the answer to that is how? How, how did that happen? How is it that a person can be saved um, simply by believing? And, and that is a, uh, a topic that is very difficult for the world to understand. It's one of the biggest obstacles of people trusting Christ. So we're going to talk about obstacles for the lost um, in trusting Christ. We're going to talk about obstacles for the believer in living out the faith that they have. Um, the obstacles for the lost in being saved are not that the fact that they are a sinner. Um, most reasonable people, if you were to talk to them and explain to them um, right and wrong um, what God's standard is, would honestly look at it and say, okay, yeah, I've sinned, I've lied or I've cheated, or I've done wrong. I, I, I understand that I'm a sinner. The difficult part is getting from I'm a sinner to I am a guilty sinner. I'm being pronounced guilty of judgment. Um, that is the difficult part. They don't understand how a God that is so good, so loving, would send a person that tries to do good to hell. Um, and that somebody that maybe had no conscience before of, of sin and of God can all of a sudden hear the gospel and be saved and be forgiven of everything that they've ever done or ever will do. Um, that's hard to come to terms with for a, a logical person, for, for somebody that um, has, has opinions based on how they see others live, what they believe in their own mind. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, coming to an end of oneself in understanding that we were all pronounced guilty sinners that if we had died in that, we would have been sent to hell, and it would have been perfectly just for God to do so. Um, the reason why it's so difficult for people to believe that is because of the sin that was first in the garden. They doubt the goodness of God. Um, people will say, well, it's too good to be true. And people have said, well, it's too good not to be true. We, we would have never thought it up. We would have never come up with this idea that anyone can be saved whomsoever will may come. For those that are saved, the obstacle and justification by faith comes down to this fear of assurance. How do I know I'm saved? How do I know that it's true? And what am I supposed to do? And if you talk to people, and they are sincere about um, eternity, they are sincere about heaven and hell, one of the things that comes up is, how do I get saved? How do I do it? What do I do? Because if that's the case, and I understand that I'm a sinner, okay, well, what do I do now? And, and that's an obstacle um, for people. 
So we're going to, Lord willing, have some clarification from the scripture. Um, the book of Romans, as we know, is a book that um, deals mostly with the, with the gospel, Paul's defense of the gospel. Rome was founded without any apostolic um, influence there, and so Paul is writing to the church at Rome to make sure that their gospel is the one that is from Christ. Um, and in doing so, he takes the first three chapters to pronounce all the world guilty before God. Not to just prove that they're sinners, because oftentimes we hear that Romans 1 through 3 is to prove that peop all people are sinners. It's to prove that they're sinners, but it's to prove that they're all guilty before God, that they, they have nothing to stand on. Um, so we're going to look at Romans 3, beginning at verse 19, just these two verses first. It says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And really what the, the argument that's being said here is, is we have this idea of people feeling that if they live to a certain standard, God is pleased. And that's normally how we all take it in the beginning. We all assume, well, I, I, just, I have to be good, I have to work at it, I have to continue to grow, and hopefully one day I'll get into the good graces of God and he'll have mercy on me. And we see that that's not the case. The, the law and the standards that were put in place by God have no power to save a person, have no power to make a person righteous. And it's just like the laws that we have here in, in, in the United States. You, you, don't get a, you don't get a reward or a, a good thing for not killing people. Oh, you know, you, you haven't killed anybody this year. You know, good for you. We're so happy that uh, you didn't kill anyone. You, you, that doesn't happen. But if you kill someone, there is a punishment. You don't get a reward for not breaking the speed limit. Um, if you break the speed limit, you get a ticket. That's how the law functions. The law cannot give blessing. The law shows us that we're sinners. And by showing us that we're sinners, it leads us to cry out, well, then what, what do we do? We've got three strikes against us. We're guilty. There's nothing that we can do. And that's the point that God is waiting for people to come to. And that's the point that most people refuse to come to. Um, and it's the difference between heaven and hell. It's the difference between eternity um, with the Lord, with God in heaven, and eternity in hell separated from everything in utter darkness. Um, a simple understanding of the goodness of God and what he's done in sending his son. So first, the understanding is we can't be made just by the law. And by a clear demonstration, we see that there's, the, the law is not a function to where that's possible. So we're going to continue reading. Verse 21 it says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. 
So Paul's establishing an argument that takes place, that Jesus Christ is the righteousness that is available to man. And it's only going to be imparted to man based on faith in Christ. And it's very simple. And our minds would say, well, it's too simple. It's too, it's too easy. There's, there's no way. There, there's a catch here. And that mindset is, is what I'm saying when I come to doubting the goodness of God. And sometimes as, as believers, we have that struggle as well. Um, you know, we, we, we're living for the Lord. We're living for the Lord. All of a sudden, we have a, a, bad, a bad week. And it's just like, man, you know, God's going to just make it hard or he's going to bring punishment or, you know, my life is going to turn upside down. Or, and you have this fear. God is not one that wants to bring judgment. God is not one that wants to bring consequence. God is one who is loving and wants to bring blessing. The only reason he judges is that we might come back to him, that he can bless us. Um, we see that take place all throughout the scripture. So this instance here that, that he set up, it says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we've talked about that. It says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, being that Christ purchased us. All of our sin was laid upon him. Shedding of his blood, all the sin was forgiven. All the sin was judged at that point in time. So how does that freedom, how does that peace get imparted to somebody? Because we have to remember, Jesus Christ died for all the sins of the world. So how is it that some people go to heaven and some people go to hell? There must be something that separates us. And what separates us is faith, faith in Christ. And so we're going to get into what is that idea of saving faith? How does, how does this faith that's imparted to us, how does that give us eternal life? Um, and it's this idea, the reason it's set up this way, so that there's no boasting on our end. Uh, oftentimes you hear it um, from people um, you know, we, we come off as we're smarter than everybody, or we come off as we know more, or we come off as, well, God loved us and God didn't love you, you know. So that's the impression that the lost world has sometimes of believers. Uh, it's not a very good impression, and sometimes it is completely justified. We, we give that impression. Um, really, the whole reason why this was put into place is to prove that there is no boasting. There's nothing that we did. Um, we just believe the promises of God. You can believe it just the same as I can believe it. All people can be saved. And that's the beauty of the gospel. It's, it's, it's all inclusive in that it goes out to everyone. It's exclusive in that only those that receive it receive the blessing. Um, so that, that's really just the introduction to this topic of justification by faith. How is one justified by their faith? So we're going to start in um, Romans 4, and we're going to work our way through the chapter. There's going to be two examples given. The first one is going to be of Abraham. Abraham was the father of the Jewish nation. He was called out of Mesopotamia um, by God, and it was promised to him that he will have a seed, and through that seed, all the nations of the world would be blessed. And he also had a promise that through his seed, he would, have, he would be the father of many nations, as many as the stars in the sky, as many as the sand on, on the ground. These were the promises given to Abraham. We know that Abraham begat Isaac, Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, and we know them as the 12 tribes of Israel. So when we say Abraham is the father of Israel, that's, that, that's what we're saying, father of the Jewish nation. It all started at Abraham. The interesting thing about Abraham is he was justified before there was any law. 
There was no law at the time of Abraham. So he's going to go to Abraham. He's also going to go to David. David was a king of Israel. Some would say the most revered king of Israel. And he was a king that was under the law. So he's going to show two examples, how they were both justified by faith, and why this standard applies to now all people. So Romans chapter 4, verse 1 says, What then shall we say that Abraham our father has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. So we have this precedent. Boom. He states his, his argument. Um, the scripture says that it was accounted to him for righteousness, his belief in God. Um, not on account of works. And when we say works, we don't necessarily mean, because some people have this notion that uh, uh, people think that they can somehow just work and work and work and get their way to heaven. Um, reasonable people understand that there's things that they've done along the way that are a negative, that you know, are, are damaging in the sight of God. But they may say, well, I confess it, or I pray about it, or I try to do better. And really what they don't understand is that they're trying to have their own standing. If God were to let you into heaven based on the life that you lived, you'd say, look at me. I did it. Move, o- move over, Jesus. We're, we're both here now. Um, that is not going to happen. Um, that will never take place. So it's done to remove boasting and to make it free to all people. So in verse 4, we're going to get into his argument of how it's not imputed through the law. It says, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So we went from Abraham in being the father of the Jewish nation that he was justified by faith. And now we're going to go to David. And David's under law. And these are uh, two verses taken from Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2. And um, just this idea of how happy, how blessed a person is who's been forgiven. How blessed a person is that has peace with God. Um, Something that the world does not understand. You look at the world today, they have no peace, they have no comfort, they have no hope. They're all trying to do it themselves, and this person's idea, and this person's idea, and they try to beat each other with it. And whoever wins out in the end, then this one carries in for a while until somebody else comes up and beats them down with their own idea. It's a struggle. And for, for the, the people that have faith in God, we have peace. We know that we're secure, we know that we're taken care of. So blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. And we have to remember David, what kind of a person David was. David was a great king. David was a man after God's own heart. David was a man that received promises from God that his seed would sit on the throne forever. Um, A great man of, of faith, but a man under law. And a man under law that committed adultery, a man under law that committed murder both of which at the time were supposed to be judged by stoning. They were supposed to kill him. Um, What do we do with that? This is a man that is a man after God's own heart. How is it that a man like this 
could have his deeds forgiven. And to, to, to write this, this, remember this is a song that David sings. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. We see that two are past tense, one is future tense. This idea that his sins are covered, his lawless deeds are forgiven, but God will not even impute sin to him. How did that happen? He's under law. He's supposed to be judged. And so we're going to get into this. Verse 9, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only? For that, that's an argument that they say. Well, David was a Jew. He is one of the circumcised people, one of the chosen of God. That's why God, you know, kind of just swept it under the rug, just kind of allowed it. Um, so Paul's going to defend that. It says, does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted? while he was circumcised or uncircumcised. Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also. And the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So the reason why this is so confusing is because it's circumcised, uncircumcised, and he says it like eight or nine times. And you kind of can miss the, the, the gist of what he's saying. Um, he's proving right now that even if you were under the law of God or if you were outside the law of God, you were a Gentile, you're both saved the same way. Your faith is what... God uses to impute righteousness to you. So, because what they're trying to do here is bring two groups that were diametrically opposed to each other together. Um, we see that Christ is one that unites groups. Um, he's also one that, because they choose not to believe in, divides groups. In this point right now, he's trying to show them, look, if, if you believe in Christ and you were of the circumcised, you were a Jewish person, or if you believe Christ and you were a Gentile, well, you're now just... You're one in Christ. Um, and you have the same father, Abraham, because that's how faith was, or that's how righteousness was imputed to him. So he's trying to make this point of, of bringing them together that it's not about the law. So we see we went from Abraham, David, back to Abraham. The reason we go back to Abraham is because he received righteousness maybe 15 years before he was circumcised. Um, so it wasn't based on circumcision. It wasn't based on a work that they did. Now, he circumcised himself to show a, a proof of what he believed. If he didn't believe in God, and God said, you know, I want you to be circumcised, he probably would have said, mm, I don't think so. I mean, a man at that age, I don't know if that would be top of the list um, to have done. So I, I just I couldn't see that happening. Um, but however, he believed God, and so he, he went along with this work of circumcision. And it's a seal of his belief, not a seal of his salvation. Um, we have to remember uh, the difference between the two, a seal of his belief. So Paul is, like I say, taking this time, but we still haven't answered the question, faith in what? What am I supposed to have faith in? What, what do you mean have faith in Jesus? 
there's people all over the world of different denominations, of different groups that say they believe in Jesus, yet there's Christian groups that say, well, that Christian group is going to go to hell because they don't really believe in Jesus. So what do, what do I believe in? What's the deal here? How do I get saved? That's what I'm worried about. I'm worried about how is it that I can be like David and say, blessed is he whose lawless deeds are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Um, so verse 13 of Romans chapter 4. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect because the law brings about wrath for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed. God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did, who contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. <clears throat> so what we have here is Paul making a statement. If righteousness was going to be imputed by law, then it would only go to those people that were under the law. And it would have to go a certain way in order for the people to have to be a part of their own salvation in a way that is outward. And what God is saying is it couldn't be that way because then your faith would be made void and it wouldn't matter what you believed in. You could curse God and yet do these things. That wouldn't be accepted. It just it, it wouldn't make sense. So what Paul is telling to the Romans here is that that's why it can't be imputed by the law. And when we say law, it's really just a general application of people that have beliefs of their own. Um, I believe that this is how people get to heaven. Or so-and-so says, I believe this is how people get to heaven. And you say, well, it really doesn't matter what you guys believe. What does God say? What does God say is the difference? So we're going to get into this promise. We have to remember that Abraham was given a promise. His promise was that he would have a seed that were as many as the stars in the sky, as many as the sand on the ground. The problem was uh, Sarah was barren. Sarah couldn't have kids, and Abraham was now about 100 years old, and he couldn't have kids. Um, so they got a little bit of a, we would say, a, a problem here where God's promised him some, uh, a child, but we can't have kids. So what do we do? And we see that they had, in the past, taken things into their own hands. Well, maybe he meant that, um, you know, your lead servant, that his son would be the heir, and that through him there would be many blessings. Maybe, maybe it's that way, because what God is saying doesn't make sense. And we saw that that was wrong. And then Sarah came and said, well, maybe it's not through me. Maybe it's through anyone, because it's just got to come from you, Abraham. So... Um, Here's my servant, and you know, through, through her, you have, they had a child, and we see that he wasn't the one either. So what was it? It says, 
contrary to hope, and hope believed, so that, because of, so that he could become the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So Abraham was believing a promise that God had given him, even though everything else looked like, uh, that doesn't look like it's true. I can't have kids, Sarah can't have kids. You know, it's got to mean something else. Instead of thinking that way, Abraham was a man that said, if God said it, then he's going to do it. And that's, what the faith, that's the faith that we're talking about. God said it, he can do it. God said that he's going to give me a son. And so Abraham believed, and that's why it was accounted to him for righteousness. It says in verse 19, not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about 100 years old, and the deadness of Sarah's womb, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Um, what brought God glory was that uh, even though everything out there, everyone would have told Abraham that he was wrong. Everyone would have told Abraham it's not going to happen. He still believed God, what God said to be true. And so he did not waver at the promise of God, but was strengthened. So this is the idea, being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore, it was accounted to him for righteousness. The Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's a promise made. How is a person saved? Do you believe God? Do you believe that Christ's death, his blood shed, his burial, his resurrection, do you believe that that's enough to save you? It's that simple. Is your faith in what Christ has done? Or is your faith in what you're going to do based on what you think and what you see and what you hear and what you read? That's the difference. That's the difference between a person going to heaven and a person going to hell. Where is their trust? It's either in Christ or it's not. If it's in Christ, you're saved. If it's not in Christ, you're lost. The most difficult part about that is to surrender all of our preconceived ideas, surrender all of our will, surrender all of our pride to admit that a person as vile as the most wicked person who ever turned to Christ, that they are the same as you, and that you deserve to go to hell just as much as the next guy. Um, that's the difficulty. The hard part is, is that's the truth. Um, with Abraham, we see that Though people would have had different ideas and people would have given him different information, he decided to ignore all of that and have faith in what God had said. So you can either place your faith and trust in Christ based on a promise that God has said, or you can do it your own way. And you've already been told the direction you'll go. So this is the idea of saving faith. It's not just faith in, oh, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he was a person... I believe that he was God. I believe that he was born of a virgin. I believe he lived a perfect life. I believe he died on the cross. I believe he was buried and rose again on the third day. I believe he's seated at the right hand of God. Those are all just outward beliefs. I believe something. How is that applied to us? How does that make me whole? How does that make you whole? I believe 
that Christ's death was in my place, that he died for me. As believers, this leads us to rejoicing. And I, I just, I feel like right now, in, with everything that's going on, uh, we think of Will, uh, we think of Devin, uh, we think of so many people that are going through such pain. Um, one day there will be a day where there's no pain, and we rejoice in the Lord. It's the only thing that's going to bring us great eternal joy. Do you know that we will be happy forever? <laughs> we will be joyful forever. One day there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death. And we'll be able to be with the one who loved us so much that he was willing to bear everything in his own body. You just think of the sins in the room. That's a scary thing. All those sins laid upon a person and the judgment poured out. So we have here how faith is taken and how righteousness is imputed. It's not just having faith in something. A lot of people believe that. If I'm sincere in what I believe, God will accept it. No, God won't accept it. God only accepts faith in his son. That's the only thing that he's made a promise for. God hasn't made a promise that if you do your best, he'll take you. God hasn't made a promise that if you um, just love him so much that he'll take you. That, that's not what God said. God said that if you trust his son, that he died on the cross, he shed his blood, he was buried and rose again for you, that you'll be saved. That's the promise. That's the exchange. So we have in verse 23, really a, a, a beautiful verse that ties most of this together. Uh, now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. And uh, th that's often the question for uh, believers. They've trusted Christ, they've made a profession of faith, and they say, well, how do I know... How do I know I did it right? How do I know I'm really saved? Um, how do I know that it's really true? Um, and we talk about the sin that so easily besets us. We see in Hebrews um, this picture of running the race. And the book of Hebrews in chapter 12 will say, um, lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us. And really that sin is doubt. Um, doubt creeps into our mind and it affects how we live um, we talk about repentance, we talk about faith in Christ, that we repent from what we believed before, we turn to God, and this change in mind leads to a change in attitude. Um, if you're working for a group of people, and you just believe in the ideals, and you're just going on, and you have a, a feeling about um, what you're doing, that it's a good cause, Say it's, uh, you know, say it's something, you know, bringing, bringing food to refugees or this or that. And you're all getting together, logistics, how to work it out. And you just have this attitude like, we're doing good. And it leads to good performance. You're invested. You have something. Now, all of a sudden, you find out that what you're doing is um, really just for profit. And you really, the people that are doing all this really don't care about those refugees. Um, they care about their own pockets. Well, all of a sudden, your attitude changes. And when your attitude changes, 
it changes how you how you work changes your life and how you do things so we've been going this whole way in our life up until we're saved this idea of look and live we've been going our own way with our own preconceived ideas and then we're hit with this did you know that you were guilty before God that there's nothing you can do in your in and of yourself to be saved and then he tells you but don't worry I've given you a free gift and that's Christ and that by belief in him you can be made righteous how is that supposed to change the way we live we're supposed to be a thankful people we're supposed to be a joyful people we're supposed to be a loving people and if you're here this morning and you are saved and you say well that's not me well then you better wake up and and figure out and take a good look at yourself in the mirror and say well what, what do I believe and if I believe this why am I living this way and oftentimes it's because of this doubt that creeps in and eats at, the, eats at the mind. So we have this idea that just remember the promises of God. That's why we read his, his word. We read his word to, re, to be reminded of the promises that we have. Um, the promises that we have strengthens us. We see all these people throughout scripture. Um, I think of, of Naaman, who was a, a leper, and was told that if you were to go and, and dip seven times in the River Jordan, that you would be healed. He, you know, he's like furious. No, come on, the Jordan, this is terrible because he's from Syria. This is awful. You know, this is like the dirtiest water. You know, how is this water any better than the waters in Syria? But he went and he dipped anyway because of his servant telling him, just do what the man of God says. If God said it, we've come all this way. You might as well do it. And so he does and he's healed. We have this picture that strengthens our faith that it's not because Naaman was so righteous that finally he gave it and went and did it. No, it's because God was so loving that he made a way for this man to be healed. God has made a way for us to be made righteous. And it's a beautiful gift. And it's not something that he did just to forgive our sins. It's not something he did just to, um, you know, wipe the slate clean. He did it because he loved us. And he didn't just snap presto, okay, you're forgiven. He sent his son to pay the price, to pay for the sin, to pay for your sin, everyone here. And it's just a matter of faith in that. So uh, when Magdi stood up and was reading from Romans 5, I was a little nervous that he was going to basically take the whole thing. I'd say, you know, we can go home, we can go home early. In verse 5, it says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Um, so since we've been justified, if you have faith in Christ, you've been justified. Since we've been justified, he reminds us that we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that peace do for us? How does that affect the way we live? We can sit here all day long and say, oh, it's nice. You know, it's nice to have peace with God. But that should bring up a joy within our hearts to lead us out to do what God wills us to do. It says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And we go back and we think of all the, how does this help me on Monday? 
how is this gonna how is this gonna strengthen me to get through? I mean, life is hard, and, and people have that that feeling. Life is tough. People are suffering. People are sick. Um, people are in a great deal of pain. Um, people have a great deal of sorrow. Um, how does all this justification by faith, peace with God, how does that help me um, Monday morning? By understanding the love of God that's been poured out for us. God is not bringing these tribulations um, to disappoint us. He's bringing these tribulations that he may strengthen us. And you say, well, how does that help me? And really, that's just a complex of, of today. Um, what's in it for me? You know, I want to do better. But then that guy next to me, I don't really care about. But it's all about me. So how does this help me? Really, these tribulations, these things that everyone is going through, by having strength, by building our character, by increasing our hope in God, will now allow us to minister to all those that are going through the same thing. Whenever you think, how does this help me, Maybe change the question and say, how does this help me help others? How does this help me show the love of God to somebody? And we have to remember, for those of us that are saved, we are the only ones that can show the love of God to this lost world. Nothing else can. That through everything, if people hate us, if people despise us, if they curse Jesus, if they do all of these things, we can still show love to them. And that's what's going to say, you know, Obviously, there is something different about these people. They have something that I don't have. That's what speaks to the world. Um, this idea of just living for ourselves, doing what we want to do, it's about me, is, is what's damaging the gospel so much today. Why it's so hard for the lost people to take the Bible at its word and say, well, this is just a free promise. All I have to do is believe it. They look around, they see all these people that say they do, and they live terribly. And it causes them to doubt the goodness of God. We have to remember, grace is something that's given based on no merit of our own. We don't deserve it. Um, it's a free gift. Now, if somebody's given a free gift and they're misbehaving, and you take it away, well, then that wasn't grace. Um, it's, it's oftentimes, you know, the, the idea of a promise where... If, if, you know, everything goes well and on Friday I tell Kathy, okay, if, if we do all these things, Kath, then I'm gonna, we're going to go to Chick-fil-A. Right now our thing is going to Chick-fil-A to get a big Oreo shake. That's been like our bi-weekly tradition. And there's some things about uh, pregnancy that's fantastic. And, uh, and, and that's one of them, this, uh, this bi-weekly trip we have to Chick-fil-A. Um, I've been gaining weight step for step with Kathy as we've uh, gone through this time. I think she'll lose it faster than I will, though. Um, but we have this thing where if I were to make her promise, okay, if you do this, this, and this, then we'll go get Chick-fil-A. Well, now it's dependent on something she has to do. If I tell her, on Friday, we're going to go get Chick-fil-A, there's no conditions. And that's what we have to remember with the gospel. If we, if we see somebody that's just gone off the rails, not living for the Lord, being disobedient to his word, um, we have to remember that the salvation that, that person has was not based on anything he did or will do. It's by faith alone. So what it does is it removes us from the position of saying, okay, you can't do this, you can't do this, and you can't do this. And what happens is people have turned Christianity into chains. 
I don't want to become a Christian because then I have to give up everything that I like doing. Um, to believe in Christ is to be free, not to be in chains. And so instead of looking at a person and saying, you have to do this, this, and this, you bring them along and you show them the joy in Christ. You show them the joy you get in showing Christ to somebody else, in living for the Lord. That's what brings satisfaction. You see all these people living for themselves, living for the world. What's one thing that characterizes them? They're never satisfied. They'll never have enough. Never. And you see the poorest people in these third world nations that are believers in Christ. And it's like they have everything. They're completely satisfied. How is that possible? So we have this idea of all these tribulations bringing hope. Hope that we can use to help others. Um, for when we were still without strength, back to us, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die. Yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. When we were still sinners, Christ died for us. When we were ungodly, and it wasn't in a way that God would make salvation hard, it was that a way that God would make salvation free to everyone. Um, and that's the difference. It's a free gift. So we get to this idea of how must I be saved? How can I know for sure? Do you believe the promises of God? Do you believe his word to be true? That's the difference. So for those of us that are believers in Christ, those of us that are saved, that are sure of our eternal state, what do we do? With our life, we help others. We show others. We love others. Why? That more people can be brought into this family, that they can have peace, that they can be reconciled unto God. And you say, well, why would we do that? I don't really care about everybody else. Well, you have to remember you were bought with a price, and now you have work to do. We don't do it because of we have to. We do it because God loved us, and we love him. And if we love him, we ought to do what he wants to do. Um, sometimes Kathy wants to do things that I just don't want to do. Yesterday, I, uh, she had a, bridal, or a baby shower. We always get this confused. We keep saying bridal shower like we're getting married again. Um, she had a baby shower yesterday. She had all these tables down there. And um, she told me that after the baby shower was done, that I'd have to drive down there, get these tables, and bring them back to the chapel. And she said she'd call. Well, she, she didn't call. She waited like an hour and a half after the party was over, and it was like 7.30. And she, oh, yeah, the party's been over for like an hour and a half. I should have called you earlier. And I was like furious. And I could have said, you know what, just forget it. Just leave them there. Just, you know, if we were in a relationship where we were just doing this out of our sheer will, um, that mind would have broke right then and there. I would have said, you know what, forget it. Leave them there. Um, but because I love Kathy, I said, okay, I'll be right there. I go down, I get in the truck, I drive my truck down to Gary's yard, I pick up Gary's truck, I drive that down to Julie's house, I schmooze and talk with everybody and put the tables in the back, I drive here to the chapel, I unload them, I drive the truck back to Gary's, bring my truck back home. And, and that was the evening. 
Now, if it was out of just my own sheer will, that would have never happened. This wouldn't have, wouldn't have taken place. Um, that's the difference that love makes. And that's the difference that should characterize our lives. That when, um, four years ago, if Kathy would have asked me to do something like that, I just would have told her on the phone, no. Um, since being saved three years ago, now looking at it, you just have a different perspective. And you have to remember that you're always a testimony. And there's always someone watching. There's always somebody looking. And if we kept that in mind, that we live our lives so that others may see the love of God, um, we're held pretty responsible. And we don't want to get before him at the judgment seat and find out that we just weren't paying attention. So tonight what we're going to do is um, we're going to go over. I started a series in Philippians, and it seems strange just to leave that hanging on its end. Um, So if you want to go ahead and read ahead Philippians 4, we'll be looking at that tonight, being united um, through prayer, um, the joy of salvation, things like that. Go ahead and close in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank thee for this marvelous gift. We could have never thought it up. Father, we, we cannot understand the love that you have for us and that you would give your only begotten Son that before the foundation of the world you knew that your hatred against sin, Father, your, your, your hatred against evil, all these things, that you would judge them and pour out your wrath upon your only Son. And Father, you would do it in our place that we might be justified, that we might be made righteous, that we might be forever with thee in heaven. Um, We pray for all of those uh, that don't have peace. We pray for all of those that are suffering, that have sorrow. Uh, We pray that your love would be um, showered down upon them through our own works, through what we can do for others, uh, but most of all, for what your son can do for them in salvation. Uh, We just lift up all that are here. Uh, We lift up the families, and we just give thee thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.